Hey everybody, Tom Salami here. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. We've got a great interview with Helen Reeve Stover and Andy Weiss of Recore. Talked with them about a month ago about their uh, progress with uh, their renal innovation project and the various clinical trials they have going on. So great story there. Chris and I will talk about our end of the year coverage, what we'll be doing in terms of picking our uh, news of the year. We hope you'll be part of that. Stay tuned and listen, and you can find out how you can be on next week's Device Talks weekly podcast. I hope you caught our Striker Talks podcast that came out yesterday featuring Andy Pierce, the president of MedSurge and Neurotech. We are uh, done with our Striker Talks podcast for 2022. We're done with our Medtronic Talks podcast for 2022. We are done with our Intuitive Talks podcasts for 2022. And we have one more Device Talks weekly podcast coming out next week. And we'll have more details on that coming right up. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Chris Newmarker, how are you, sir? Tom, good to be here. Good to be here. Chris Newmarker, you look tired. Are you tired today? Tired? Yeah. You know, a, a tad. You know, I, I, I don't know what it could be. I mean, maybe it was the, um, maybe it was the uh, three foot high like wall of snow that the plow <laughs> left at the uh, end of my driveway. You know. Oh, uh, Chris Newmarker, you deserve a break. I think. I think we'll we'll take take off this week from the Newmarker's newsmakers. I'm tired. And I think we should. Get you some help for for developing the uh, the stories of the year that we'll have on next week's podcast. Exactly. So, yeah. 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 So we'll bring in our we'll bring in our expert editorial team next week. Exactly. Yeah. Review the uh, the most read articles on our on our news sites. You're gonna you're gonna we'll compile that list, right? We can. Do I that. mean, you know, as you near the end of the year, I mean, it's a time of a lot of things, like you know, you know, holiday gatherings with with friends, you know, presents perhaps under the the tree, you know, doing, you know, uh, you know, sledding or you know, some kind of fun holiday market. And of course, for you know, people in you know the uh, the the media business like us, it's the uh, end of year retrospective mm, you know the, get you right here get yeah, you right sure, here just, get you all weepy but well, i think we should invite our listeners as well to contribute their stories of the year so I we can do that in a couple of ways now you've yeah. already reached out on social media right you're 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 asking folks to uh to share their 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 stories have, of the year i have begun ringing the bring me your ideas bell yes <laughs> and i think in addition to that i know in addition to that we will uh we'll, we're posting a link on mass device uh, an article on mass device with a link that will allow our listeners to record one minute recording of what they think the big stories of the year would be uh they can just uh make sure that you have a good microphone make sure you've got your your thoughts together and just record a minute or less just what you think the big important stories of of 2022 are and uh or if you want to talk about what you think the big stories of 2023 will be record that and we'll uh we'll try to include them in next week's uh podcast along again with the uh the expert insights from our entire editorial team how's that sound that's how you know i was thinking actually that i was going to get a sandwich board and a bell and a cow and go up to metronic headquarters in Fridley, minnesota and ring it and, you know, instead of them giving, you know, money, because, I mean, you know, they could, like, put ideas in the kettle. But um, I like your idea better. I think <laughs> I think your idea 
is better. Um, you know, I, I don't have to, you know, I, the, the folks at Medtronic are, you know, really nice, good people, but, you know, don't, you won't don't have know to get tackled the... by security. Yeah, yeah no, I yeah, get it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to. I'm envisioning you running away on. in the <laughs> sandwich board. <laughs> no, no need to do that. Plus, there's snow on the ground. You don't want to be outside. That's true. I mean, I, I have to trudge over snow. I mean, there could be ice. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to. Your idea is great. I like it. We'll do this. Uh, so we'll do that. So much we'll, better. Much better. So this we're is- inviting our listeners to contribute their stories of the year. Look on Mass Device. Uh, we'll post it on our social media channels, and I'll have a link on uh, on this podcast uh, on the podcast page or the page for this podcast. And uh, you can record your own message. Again, keep it to a minute. Say your name and uh, the company you're with or whatever affiliation you want to use. Let us know what you think the big story of 2022 was and why. Let us know what stories you'd be looking forward to watching develop in 2023. Separately, you can do one or the other. Try not to do both. Unless you can do both under a minute, then then do that. But try to keep your messages short, and uh, we'll include them in in next week's podcast. It would be great to hear from, uh, from you directly. And of course, if you don't want to speak these truths, then uh, by all means, comment on social media, send Chris and I a message, right? Direct message on yep, LinkedIn always exactly. works. Yep. Always, always happy to get a DM. Yeah. So, uh, so yes, we're going to be working out our uh, stories of the year. Uh, we won't have an, an interview next week. I don't think we'll just be focused on that. And, uh, and that will give yeah, we'll Chris our- the break that he needs from developing all of these, uh, these new Marcus newsmakers. It's a, it's a lot of work, right, Chris? Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm working, I'm working hard, man. I'm working overtime. I mean, I guess, it's, I, it's just yeah. working all the time. Wow, working overtime. No, there's a song. Remember, there was an old SNL skit like with with w, with you know like Will Ferrell's Bush like going like like I was working Sundays, <laughs> <laughs> working overtime, working I was Sundays. Thinking of taking care of business, the song "Taking Care of Business," but we don't need to go down uh, down that route. Anyway, yeah. all right. Well, that sounds like a plan, Chris Newmark. We're avoiding all kinds of tangents here, but yeah, so let's get some ideas. I mean, there were things off the top of my head that I, I already think, you know, would just be slam dunks, you know, on this list. I mean, something like, I mean, unfortunately, Phillips has, you know, been going through this just awful, awful recall and, you know, just more developments with that. I mean, that, that you know, is going to be on the list. Um, on, on the flip side, we've got like these really like interesting exciting spaces right now like surgical robotics you know great computer interfaces i mean i see that going on there as well but you know i mean i'm you know i'm somebody who's writing about the industry all the time but i i would love to hear from you know people inside the industry you know who you know are like in the thick of this i mean what what's been getting you excited what do you you know think was you know really really significant for the industry in the past year you know and that could be something that could you know continue to make waves into the new year yep no that's a great point and i think company specific i'm sure we'll be talking about jj's acquisition of abiumet i know jj folks oh, yeah. are excited about moving back into the heart space after divesting themselves of cordis many years ago or a few years ago i don't know if it qualifies as many but a while ago it's it's pandemic time tom yeah it's true it's true <laughs> so uh so we could talk about individual companies i'm sure we'll we'll have a great list and i've got some other some other sort of broader things that are happening that are sort of span over over multiple companies that we'll be talking about uh that i think are some pleasant and unpleasant changes to uh to medical devices so all right well so folks uh let your voice be heard reach to us reach out to us on social media uh use the uh the the device that we'll be putting up in mass device that allows you to record your own message 
So many ways for our listeners to get involved, Chris Newmarker, and to give you, uh, again, a well-deserved break. So Fantastic. Well, Helen Reeves Stouffer and Andy Weiss, welcome to the podcast. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Tom. It's good to be here. Great to have you and great to learn about Recor. Uh, Andy, we had you on the podcast last year, and I'm going to uh, connect folks to that. We'll have the uh, link in the show notes so they can go back and listen to uh, your path into, into the medical devices. And it was a great story, your experiences at Coaxia and such, and I advise people to, to give it a listen because it's great context. But uh, today we're going to focus on Paradise and on Record, on your clinical trials, and on Helen. And Helen, I'd love to start off this podcast just understanding a bit about your your path into the medical device industry. Uh, what, what drew you to this space? Sure. So I actually started off in academic research. So I have a PhD in cellular pharmacology that I got in the UK. I came over to the US to uh, be a postdoc at the VA Medical Center in Minneapolis and spent about seven years working in the cardiopulmonary research arena there under the chief of cardiology. I actually transitioned to industry in 2001. I moved over to the dark side and started to work with Guidant in their clinical affairs team under their program management group. And so I've actually been in industry now for more than 20 years. I've worked in big companies. So Guidant was the first, then Boston Scientific. I've worked in smaller companies. I worked with a company called Cameron Health. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they were a startup company that brought the subcutaneous ICD to the market. Uh, they were purchased by Boston Scientific, so I went back there for a while. And then I actually joined Recor way back in 2013. So Andy and myself joined not very dissimilar times. Wow. Uh, so I've been here for the for the whole program. And I was in place well before we started the Radiant studies. Andy and I talked about this in our in our conversation that again we'll replay, but 2013 was a, a different time from 2014 for for Reynolds Renovation. Uh, how did you feel about things on uh I think it was January 9th, 2014. Yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> I mean, we, we were as a company, you know, in the process of uh, running a registry at the Achieve registry, waiting for the Medtronic data to come out. And I was at a conference with Manoaya, our founder at the time, when we heard the news. And obviously it was surprising. Um, at the time, perhaps a blow, but I think in reality, what's come since then has put the field in a much better position um, anyway. So I think it was a, a point at which everybody had to kind of make that stop and think. It led to some very interactive and positive work with the FDA, especially for us, I would say. And um, I think we're in a much better space now. And for folks who aren't familiar, that was when Medtronic released, uh, was it Simplicity 1 or 2 trial results? It was 3. It three. Was Simplicity HCM <laughs> 3. Yeah, in three results that were, were disappointing and uh, sort of set the the rental innovation space back for a lot of people, but not for Recor. Before we get into, I, I do want to talk about Paradise and Recor, and Andy, I'll get to you in a moment. But Helen, I'm just I as, as a follower of the industry, when we start talking about renal innovation and clinical trials, I have a hard time sort of, especially on the on some more higher profile conversations. There seems to be a lot of a lot more gray area than perhaps I'm accustomed to, and uh, admittedly, I'm not trained in this. I find clinical trial data to be a bit challenging for me to sort of process, so I rely upon experts. But from your perspective, is 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 this a more difficult space? Hypertension a more difficult space than any other space, or than than other spaces in medical devices, or is it as difficult as as others, or maybe less difficult? I, I actually think the hypertension is a pretty difficult space for any company, whether it be pharma or whether it be medical devices. 
if you think about kind of how blood pressure is and blood pressure is our outcome, it changes throughout the day just naturally. And then you take into consideration the fact that, you know, whatever you do during the day, whether you're stressed, whether you're active, whether you're inactive, that can also influence blood pressure. And then, of course, we take into consideration that, you know, that blood pressure changes depending on whether patients are taking drugs or not. It makes it a pretty difficult space to be able to get a positive outcome in. And, you know, as we went through our clinical trial program, we had to look at each one of those different things and work out a solution as to how we could overcome some of the challenges that you see with just measuring blood pressure. Great. Uh, well, and I'm anxious to get into those. But Andy, if you wouldn't mind just uh, bringing our listeners up to speed on Recor in, in Paradise, what is your approach to uh, lessening or diminishing hypertension? Well, what, what Recor has been doing for the past, you know, something like 15 years is developing and evaluating a technology which would denervate or, you know, kill the renal nerves, the nerves that run outside the renal artery with a catheter located inside the renal artery. And our, our specific approach was to do that combining ultrasound sound waves to heat the tissue and water circulating in a balloon to simultaneously cool the tissue. So we've been designing an ultrasound system, which has a tiny little, what we call ultrasound transducer to emit the ultrasound waves. They're emitted in a 360 degree pattern when the transducer is located in the artery. So they heat the nerves all the way around the artery in a length of about five millimeters. We can control the depth of the ultrasound energy and the power by our catheters being powered by our generator. And we adjust the power and frequency and time for each patient's arterial diameter. So we know we're emitting the right amount of ultrasound to ablate the nerves at a certain depth from the walls of the renal artery. So we, we ablate to a certain depth where the renal nerves are. We do that in a very, very controlled way. And then the balloon circulates water and it keeps the renal artery itself cool. So we simultaneously cool the artery so there's no arterial injury or our goal is no arterial injury. And we ablate in a 360 degree pattern in emissions that are about five millimeters long. And our technology we've developed over time, many years, uh, increasing control, you know, adjusting frequency, power, and time. We've used bench models, computer models, and many, many animal tests to ensure that we get the right nerve injury, but don't injure any tissue too far out, called non-target tissue. And then we've uh, put this in trials, first pilot feasibility trials, and then with Helen's arrival, continuing to run those, but most importantly, running our IDE randomized sham controlled trials. But we are unique in companies, as far as I know, in having a an ultrasound-based system with water cooling in a balloon. And now we've um, run many, many tests. And I think our total number of patients that have been enrolled in studies is somewhere between five and 700. So we've got substantial human clinical evidence, you know, trying to build enough evidence to go to the FDA and ask their view on our safety and efficacy. Great. And Recor is operating as a, as a division of Itsuka, which is a, a Japanese pharma and consumer company as well. They have right. two, so two other divisions. Recor was founded in 2009 by Sofanova Partners, Antoine Pepernick, and my friend and colleague, Mono Iyer, through the acquisition of a company called ProRhythm, where we acquired the ProRhythm technology portfolio. And then we took their technology and adapted it to be used in the renal arteries for renal denervation. So we built on this great 
technology that we purchased and completely changed it and adapted it for what we do for the renal nerves. Uh, we were running our trials when the Medtronic HTN3 data came out, it really stopped the field. This is that January 9, 2014 date. Many companies left the field. We felt very strongly that our technology could prove to be successful. We believed strongly in the basic concept of renal denervation to lower blood pressure. What we simply needed to do is have the funds to go demonstrate it with well-designed clinical trials. So we were very pleased to find Atsuka that was interested in making a series of investments, first small and then escalating, and to find Helen so that we could take the funds and the clinical trial knowledge and then put those together to demonstrate whether or not this technology worked. In 2018, after our first trial read out positively, that's the solo trial, Atsuka decided to acquire us. So we've been acquired since mid of 2018, during which time Atsuka's continued to invest heavily in the company in both technology development, clinical trials, and we're also exploring our technology and new therapeutic uses at the pilot stage. Oh, interesting. Before we get into your clinical trials, as I mentioned, there were, there were a lot of potential, there was a lot of interest in rental innovation in 2013, a lot less after January 9th, 2014. You and, and Medtronic are the, the primary leaders in the space. Are there others developing rental innovation systems or are you the only two? We're aware that there are other companies that have been working in renal denervation and continue to, okay. I don't know all of them, you yeah. know, okay. yeah. So I, and I, I only know a few of them and, you know, it's an international world. So there may be some in different continents that I'm unaware of where we see them, if we see them at all is in clinical trials. And there are very, very few that are in clinical trials, at least at the sites that we see. Terrific. Okay. So Helen, let's, let's talk about your clinical trials. You've had a, a lot of great news lately. Trying to think of the best way to sort of break this up so uh, so folks can understand it as to the number of trials you've had and the outcomes that you've had from each. So what was your most recent news? What was your, your trial that produced the most recent news? So the most recent trial that um, read out was the Radiance 2 trial. That's our pivotal trial. So that read out just recently. We presented the data at TCT and we met our primary endpoints uh, very cleanly in that trial. Can you walk us through the trials that you've uh, have conducted over the, over sure, the maybe, maybe that would be easier for yeah. context. So the, the yeah. first trials that we started were the Radiance HTN Solo and the Radiance HTN Trio trials. So those were trials that we designed early on in collaboration um, with FDA just after the 2014 uh, Medtronic readout from Cisplicity HTN3. So we're looking there at two different patient populations. The SOLO trial was in the mild to moderate low-risk hypertensive patients. And then the TRIO trial was actually, um, and still is, the only trial in resistant hypertension. So truly resistant hypertensive patients. And both trials were designed almost exactly the same other than the different patient populations. So we had uh, two different phases. In the SOLO trial, what we did was we took the patients very safely off their blood pressure medication for a short period of time. That took us to our primary endpoints, after which we then did a titrated blood pressure medication change over the next uh, four months. And then in the TRIO study, which, as I said, was the resistant patient population, we standardized all of the patients on a single pill triple combination hypertensive hmm. drug. So that was pretty unique. 
but it really demonstrated that the patients we were treating in that trial were uh, really resistant hypertension patients. And the same, very similar design. So for the first two months, they remained stable on that pill. And then we titrated antihypertensive medications as needed. Um, so the two trials were run in parallel with the, almost exactly the same design other than the different patient populations. And then the RADIANCE 2 trial was our really our confirmatory study. So that was in a very similar patient population to uh, the SOLO trial. So again, mild to moderate patients, low-risk patients. And in terms of kind of size, the RADIANCE 2 trial was larger than both SOLO and TRIO. So it was adding additional data to uh, our already large portfolio for us to get enough information to be able to provide information to the FDA. And we'll talk about the, the results in a moment, but I just want to learn a little more about the trial. So who are the physicians that were the researchers in the study, who were, who were the investigators in the study? Who will be ultimately performing the procedure? Is it, is it just interventional radiologists or is it a subset of that? So if you look at kind of when we went back to start the trial, we really went to two different populations of physicians. When I started actually in the hypertensive space, it reminded me very much of the heart failure space when I was working in guidance. Hmm. in that you have a device being used in a, in a population that's normally managed by a non-device physician. So with us, of course, it's really important to not only have great hands to be able to do the procedure, but also we need to have the hypertensive specialists, those people that know how to deal with and manage the patients with high blood pressure. So we looked at working with both those populations and actually you know, one of the very key things I think probably to our success is that when we started this program, we worked very closely with uh, Michel Azizi, who is, um, he's a hypertension specialist in Paris. And at that time, he was the only person to have run a, a positive controlled trial in renal denervation. So he really helped us to understand what we needed to do to be able to create a trial that could be successful. Um, but in general, you know, we work with interventional cardiologists. One of our co-PIs is uh, Dr. RJ Kirtanay at Columbia, and he's been uh, very important in the development of the trial portfolio as well. We have interventional radiologists, although to be fair, they are less frequent in our clinical trials than the interventional cardiologists. And then the hypertension specialists are very important. And when we were putting all the trial uh, centers together, we tried to ensure that we had a good collaboration between whoever was doing the procedure, whether it be interventional cardiology or radiology, and a hypertension specialist at that site. How did that? How did that, how did were you able to get them to collaborate? Were they just looking at each other's data, or are they are they sort of did you physically have meetings with them, or perhaps virtually have meetings with them these days? I mean, how how closely were they collaborating? They were. There was very close collaboration. In fact, it was necessary that they were they were collaborating well. When we did the first sort of site selection for the Radiance HDN trial, so that's for Solo and Trio, at that time, of course, we were able to do on-site visits. So I have a team that goes out to the sites and works with the different sites to identify who the people at the uh, clinical site should be to be in the trial. And they sat down together in the same rooms and discussed, you know, whether they could find the patients, how the procedure was going to be done. These are very complicated trials. Not only are they sham controlled, they had to be blinded. And that meant that not only the patients were blinded, but also the people following the patients. And so we had to ensure that we had very strong collaboration between the hypertension team and the interventional team. Hmm. 
and uh, I believe I talked with Andy about this, Andy, I believe I talked with you about this when we spoke last, but how did COVID uh, impact the trial? I imagine there was, you, you did have to suspend things for a while. We did have to stop the trial, yeah. So in March 2020, we temporarily halted enrollment in the trial. Um, we restarted around about June timeframe. Okay. So we, we weren't stopped for as long as maybe we thought we were going to be, although thinking about it at the time, I think, Andy, we had hoped that we'd be stopped for about two or three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but we, you know, one of the data analyses that we did when Radiance 2 came out of TCT was a pre-specified COVID analysis, and we saw no effect of COVID. So, you know, working very, very closely with the sites during COVID and after COVID, we managed to not have any impact of COVID on our clinical trial. Interesting. Well, let's talk about the results of your trial. As I said, I, I am not a trial expert, <laughs> but I'm on your website and I see some arrows pointing down with some really impressive numbers. So let's talk about uh, what you, you what you took out of Radiant 2, which you talked about uh, a little bit at the start. So one of the things I think that's really important with our three trials, Tom, is that we've had incredibly consistent results. You know, we've seen the same blood pressure changes with the solo cohort, the trio cohort, and Radiance 2. So I think that goes to demonstrate the strength of the trials. And what we're showing is that even with an ambulatory blood pressure, and just for context, the numbers that you hear of with ambulatory tend to sound smaller, but are actually very meaningful. What we've shown is that we can reduce blood pressure in all these populations, whether it be mild to moderate hypertension or whether it be resistant hypertension, by just over eight millimeters of mercury ambulatory. Mm -hmm. And then what we're also finding is that the sham group, which sometimes can be a little bit of a problem in terms of understanding kind of the difference between what happens with a therapy versus sort of a placebo, we're getting a very small drop there. So the difference we see between the treatment effect and the sham group is big and significant. And we showed that in all of our trials. Um, and the data looks almost exactly the same between the trials, which is very, very important for blood pressure trials and really consistent. Well, we talked about the difficulty of the hypertension space before, and, and others have had difficulty uh, in this space, due largely, I think, to people taking their meds or not taking their meds or just inconsistently, inconsistent medication. How, how did you solve for that? Yeah, I mean, that's actually incredibly important. So the, the great thing about the Solo and Radiance 2 trials is it gives us an opportunity to remove that adherence um, confounder. So the first phase of both of those trials is when we take patients off their medications. So again, we choose the population so that they're very low risk, uh, so that there's no safety impact to the patients. We take them off their medication for no longer than eight weeks. Uh, we allow the blood pressure to go up to a safe level, and then you see the effect of the, the paradise system treatment. So that removes that confounder, which is great. The thing that we did in the TRIO trial to try and um, kind of overcome the issue with adherence was putting everybody on that single pill. I mean, there's a lot of data that suggests the more pills um, someone's taking every day, the less likely they are to take them. And so by just giving them a single pill, which contained three antihypertensive drugs, that really helped with our adherence uh, challenges. And, you know, just to sort of anecdotally, one of the other things that came out of TRIA, which I think was incredibly important as well, we consented, you know, nearly a thousand patients into that trial. And one of the things that we found is that, you know, they're coming in on three, four, five, six antihypertensive medications and still with high blood pressure. 
you put them onto that single pill and their blood pressure gets controlled. So we had a lot of patients that screened out of the study because they were on that single pill. So it really demonstrates that adherence is a challenge. Wow. All right. Well, that is impressive. So are you done with the Radiance 2 trial or are you still recruiting for that? I'm trying to remember if I saw that you were looking for patients. No, that's completed. We, we've completed the recruitment in that. We're just doing the follow-up with the patients now. Okay. So are you recruiting for any clinical trials at this point or are you done with that part? Uh, yep. Yeah, no, we've got a couple of trials. We've got one that's in the US. It's called Radiance Cap. They call it a continued access study. It allows us to continue treating patients in that interim period between when we finish the clinical trials and when we go to the FDA for approval. So that's um, actually active right now. And then we have a more sort of, we have a more real world evidence type of registry that's um, ongoing in Europe at the moment. And that's allowing us to collect uh, much more open label type of uh, data from patients. That's terrific. So Andy, this must be an exciting time for you. What does this data allow you to do? What's next? Well, first, a quick comment. You know, Helen is very, she's not going to boast about herself, but I, I just need to say a moment that hypertension is very, very difficult to study because patients go on and off their medications all the time. There are many different causes of hypertension. And to actually have someone be consistent in their behavior, their diet, their lifestyle, and their medication levels over months you know, from the start of a treatment to an evaluation period, whether it's one, two, three, four, five months later, it's very, very hard. We adopted a very, very expensive and important approach, which was we hired people, we helped the sites manage patient by patient, and whether it was COVID or on meds or off meds or escalating meds, Helen's team was really very, very tight contact with the research coordinators, and we ran really tight studies. We feel that our studies evidence is very, very strong, hence the the statistical significance in our study outcomes. It was a lot of work, but I do want to make sure people know that it's possible. It can be done. And we're evidence of that. And Helen, it made it happen. It's really an incredible kudos to her and her team. And this has been a almost a decade-long effort. So we're very, very excited. And, and I want to make sure the listeners know, solo in mild to moderate patients, positive, Trio, resistant patients, positive. Radiance 2, positive. When you pull it all together, we have over 500 patients of data. The results are positive. And the other thing that we can do now is we've looked at with 500 patients, do different subgroups respond or not respond? Do men respond more than women or older people versus younger people, obese people, non-obese, different types of blood pressure, diabetic patients, all of these different things that now we can do with this data. And as Ajay Kirtani presented a couple of weeks ago, all of these subgroups responded favorably to the denervation in that their blood pressure was reduced. And all the groups, there were no what are called intergroup interactions. Men and women both respond, older and younger, higher and lower blood pressures. So the data is very consistent in our trials and it's positive. And I, I hope your listeners understand that our evidence shows that a renal denervation can lower blood pressure. The FDA has to weigh in on, on the meaning of that. Our trials are the evidence that they will review. And our technology delivered that blood pressure reduction as demonstrated in the trials with their statistical significance. It's a lot of wonky stuff, but I want people to have confidence that the data in the trials is good 
and the data has meaning. It, it shows the blood pressure reductions. So with that, what can we do now, right? Now what we need to do is we need to go to the FDA primarily and have them evaluate the data and indicate to us and the market whether they think that means we have an effective device and whether it's safe and whether it's balance of benefit and risk to patients warrants approval for treatment of patients in the United States. And we've been working with the FDA for many years. I believe we've met a lot of the goals they've set for us. And now they need to do that very, very intense scrutiny of our evidence. And we're very excited to go through that process with them. We don't know about panel or any of that stuff. That's all kind of you know, in the process that we're working through with them. We're very hopeful that by this time next year, we'll be able to have a judgment for them. And we're just very excited about that. So number one, we are anxious to have the FDA evaluate our Paradise URDN system for the treatment of hypertension for, for American you know, patients. Secondly, we're moving ahead in Europe because we, we've launched this registry called GPS, country by country in Europe. We're bringing the GPS registry to them. So we can say, you've seen the studies we've done. Now let's put this in more routine use in the context of a registry so we can see how you might adopt this in your clinical practice in Europe because it's a new therapy. You know, how do you refer patients? How do you work them up? Once they're treated, how they go back to their primary care physician? And what does that mean for their long-term outcomes? So now we're looking at routine use, therapeutic adoption in Europe, and establishing a basis for longer-term outcomes. And that includes both efficacy and safety. And that's the next step here. The other big effort that, as you can imagine, we're, we're undergoing right now is to figure out how do we go from a pre-market research device into a device that's accepted as a therapy. The FDA is number one. Secondly, is to get the medical community to assess this therapy on its merits and say, and issue guidelines and consensus statements to say, yes, they think it should be used or not. And if it should be used, in which patients? There are hundred over 100 million Americans with hypertension. I doubt the societies are going to say, treat everyone. It doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. I believe they'll start saying, let's treat the folks that are at the highest risk and the highest need represented by those folks in the TRIO trial. And then it, I imagine they'll say slowly it can expand over time. So guidelines and consensus statements are key. Thirdly, we need to try to get reimbursement. Right. And so we're going down the path to, there's a, what's called a category three code here in the United States. It's a research code. We need to move to a normal CMS code called a category one code. So we're working with the association, Sky, ACC, AMA, CMS, to try to put together a plan to get to a category one code. And that code will allow routine reimbursement for this. So for the next few years, we're going to work on FDA approval. We'll work on guidelines and consensus statements. We'll work on getting reimbursement in the United States and Europe. And in some ways, the part that I'm most excited about is to see how the medical community responds to the evidence. It it was just, the, the pooled evidence was just presented last, you know, just a few weeks ago. And we've submitted journal articles. So hopefully that will get published. And then each country's hypertension society is going to have to discuss with this type of blood pressure reduction, 
which patients do they think this should be used for? And if so, how to then get them into a hospital where they can get treated? So, you know, those are the next steps. And after this decade of work, we think we're ready to move that stage. Very, very exciting. That is great. No, it's good. It's great to see a green light and not a yellow or a red. Well, the studies have. Well, I guess we're still yellow. Think. Yes, that's, yeah. yeah it's I mean, for, as, a co- as a company, you're able to move to the next, the next, the next uh, square yeah. on the board. Yes. Yeah. But the FDA review, consensus and guidelines, reimbursement and adoption, those are very, very exciting things, and we're just excited to be able to move in that direction. And just to recap, you do have CE Mark. Uh, so speaking to your point about plans in Europe and in Asia, we talked about this in the in the podcast. Otsuka has has rights for sale in Asia. What will be required for you to be available in Asia? Right. So it, as you know, Otsuka owns Recourse, so they have rights to all. Yeah, of oh, that's that's a great point. When they invested in you, they got the rights to Asia. Yeah. Now they well, that, now, now they now they bought it. Um, so Otsuka has a strategy for you know, clinical evaluation and development through in Asia. And that's that's what they're working on. They ran a trial called Require, which failed to meet its primary endpoints, much the same way as the Medtronic Spiral On trial just did. It was very similar in some of the challenge it faced. And they've restarted a new trial called Duo, which is, I would say, modeled after the Helen Reeves Stouffer model. So it's patients that are going to be evaluated and then put on a single pill in their case with two meds, and this trial has started, and it is another powered, sham-controlled, blinded trial of our technology, and in this case, on a single pill with with two meds. That's why it's called Duo, as opposed to ours, which had three meds and was called Trio. And we're excited to have that run through, and we're hopeful and, and frankly, internally quite confident that if that trial's run to the Helen Reeves-Stouffer model, that they will have positive outcomes as well. That's something that they're working very intensely on right now. And just to clarify, the the, the single pill and the three meds is the is the is the pill incorporated to three meds. I'm I guess I'm a, yeah. that, that throws me a bit. So what happens is, and this has been studied, there are multiple classes of meds you can take for hypertension. Yeah. ACEs, ARBs, diuretics, CCBs, blah 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 blah, aldosterone antagonists. And um, doctors have known for years, one of the troubles is to get your patients to buy three different meds and then take each pill, some in the morning, some at night, et cetera, et cetera, because it's complicated. And a couple of companies have made uh, single pills with all three medications in them. So one of them is called Exforge HCT. It's made by Novartis. And in a number of our countries, we specified that in our TRIO study, that's the pill. Just take one, you get all three meds. And then the other one, Helen, I think was called Tribenzor. And that's in, we used in other countries and that was made by another company. So these, these it's called polypharmacy. These single pills with multiple meds are common use. In some cases, they're on patent. In some cases, off patent, but they exist. Great. Final question for me. I know we have to go. Helen, you can start. I'm just, we've been hearing a lot about rental innovation for over a decade. I'm curious, how are uh, clinicians viewing this space? Are you talking to people who are excited about talking to you about this, about wanting to see this move forward, about wanting to get these trials done? Or is there more cynicism or at least some exhaustion that we've, you know, we've heard about the space before? Uh, you need to convince them that, that it's going to be a benefit. How, how does the, the therapeutic or the clinical community view things? My feeling is that cynicism has gone or is going. 
definitely after you know earlier on in in the um, lifespan of renal denervation there was some cynicism some criticism but now I really think that the tide is changing um, when we were at the TCT conference where the radiance 2 data was presented it was a really really positive feeling from all the different um, groups of physicians that were there and to me it felt like a very different world that we've moved into and I think because of all the positive data that now is out there supporting URDN you know the fact that we've got these three trials that are incredibly successful and all statistically significant people are changing their opinion and that's that's clear I really feel that that's great Mandy same question to you do you feel a change of tone from from folks yeah, I mean, Helen and I have been through this journey together, and I, I feel exactly the same way she has. We encountered tremendous skepticism in the 2013, 2014, well, not so much 2014, 2015, 2016. And as our trials, you know, continued with the tremendous rigor that Helen's team had provided, plus the fact that we had a world-class steering committee, Michelle Azizi, Ajay, Laura Mori at the time, Felix Mahfoud, Andrew Sharp, these are luminaries in the field. So people felt more confident when they saw the rigor of our trials and how we conducted them. And they were ready to, like, frankly, trust the outcomes of them, whatever they were. And then when the outcomes were positive, they went, ah, this works. Then we need another trial. And that worked. And then Radiance 2 was sort of the confirmatory trial. So I think that was very exciting. And, um, so I think the tide has turned. I really do. I think our data had a lot to do with it. Fantastic. Great. Well, it's a, it's a story that's gone on for a long time, but it's one that I'm glad to see is, is starting to present some positive news and, and giving folks a reason for hope. So thank you for all the work you've done in this, and, and thanks for joining us in the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Tom. All right, Chris Newmarker, that is a wrap. As we said, we're looking forward to hearing from our uh, our listeners in some form or fashion next week. Folks can DM us on social media or they can record their own message uh, through the link that you'll find on, on Mass Device. And we hope they'll be part of our uh, Stories of the Year episode next week on Device Talks Weekly. So if we want people to DM us, how can people find you on social media, Chris? I mean, really, the the, the place where I'm at is LinkedIn. So, you know, find me on LinkedIn, yeah. Chris Newmark, or just like a a new marker. And same here. Yes. Find me on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi. Uh, connect with us when you do. Uh, again, tell us what your stories of the year are and uh, whether you want to be want us to mention your name or not. Let us know about that. And uh, also, since you're on LinkedIn, make sure you share episodes of this podcast, which would be great. Uh, folks uh, will be rolling out. I've mentioned this a few times, but we'll We'll be rolling out more podcasts in, in 2022. So uh, what do we want folks to do with the Device Talks Podcast Network, Chris? Man, they got to like, follow, subscribe. Exactly. You like, follow, and or subscribe to the Device Talks Podcast Network. You'll not only receive this flagship podcast, but also Striker Talks, Intuitive Talks, and more to come. And of course, you should also subscribe to Medtronic Talks. That has its own channel. And uh, we'll have many more of those in 2023 as well. Smorgasbord of MedTech content. <laughs> We've been saying that word a lot lately. It seems. I don't know if I've ever been part of a smorgasbord. I mean, that sounds very specific. I've done buffets, obviously, but. Should I use that word this time? A buffet? I don't know. Buffet. I don't know. Smorgasbord is more impactful, I think. We'll stick yeah. with it. But now, now I'm hungry. All right, Chris Newmarker. You ready to get a big well, giant pretzel? Or, 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 or the smorgasbord. <laughs> 
That's it, folks. Thanks for tuning in and uh, tune in next week. And please be part of our uh, our MedTech Stories of the Year on uh, next week's Device Talks Weekly. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the holiday season. 